eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. Jimmy Graham brings it down, and that is a touchdown, New Orleans. We'll take you to places most fans never go, to practice, to the sideline, to the locker room, following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown, Taysom Hill, to Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! Hey, y'all. Who that? Welcome in. I am Jeff Nowak. This is Inside Black and Gold. And this is going to be the first kind of full-blown off-season podcast, right? This is going to be, you know, you could argue the one on Monday was an off-season podcast, technically. But at the end of the day, we didn't really talk about so much off-season stuff as we talked about the game. So this is going to be the first podcast that, that I'm not really talking about a game, talking about practice. No, not practice. Uh, we're talking about coaches. We're talking about decisions. We're talking about off-season ideals, right? And, and we're going to get into that. And uh, I'm going to go solo today. Steve Geller is dealing with some stuff. We don't need to get into it, but he is not here. You are stuck with me. And we'll be going for about 45 to 50 minutes, whatever, on a, on a handful of subjects. The first is, you know, one that I've been arguing with people about over the last couple of days. And, you know, I think one of the reasons I've been saying it over and over again in terms of like, you know, trying to get people ready more than anything else is, you know, the Saints aren't going to fire Dennis Allen. And the question is, are they A, right in that, like, are they, is that the right move? And we'll talk about some of the stuff that's, that's happened and, and, and where this locker room is and, and all that. And, and you know, how, how does that line up? How does that kind of marry with the idea that there's a lot of teams in the NFL who have moved on from coaches this year? And, and, and why, you know, why do the Saints feel differently 
than some of these other teams. And so I want to get into that and I want to talk about kind of how I feel about it and, and, and just be realistic about, about what all has actually happened this season. Second segment, I want to talk about some culture stuff. I want to talk about Trevor Penning, you know, because I, I have some I have some theories on on, on what's going on with him and, uh, you know, just that kind of idea. And then uh, final segment, I want to get into, you know, we, we've, we're, we've established the Saints aren't moving on from Dennis Allen, but there will be changes, right? Like, I think we've all kind of understood that there's going to be things that are changing, whether it's personnel, whether it's players, um, in terms of uh, some of those things. And so I want to go through the coaching staff, the assistant coaching staff, and kind of identify who's, you know, who, who, who's safe probably, you know, in, in all of this, who is on the, on the fence, who, who do you need to really dive into in terms of their work this season and, and whether you want to bring them back. And then who, you know, and there's only, there's one coach that's like, I think there's a deject button right now that, you know, I, I think, if they brought him back, it would just be very stunning to me. But we'll get into that. I also want to talk about the evaluation process and you know why the Saints take so much longer than everybody else, or at least it seems like they take longer than everybody else. Because I know that's another gripe. Every year we get into it. Oh, why is it taking so long? We're missing out on all the quality candidates and this and that. And, you know, and you know, I, 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 at a certain point, it's just finding stuff to complain about. But you know, like it, we'll get into this first subject here. Dennis Allen. I know a lot of people don't like him. Right. I, I know that there's a lot of fans out there that, you know, say I'm not going to the game as long as he's the head coach. And, and you know, that's your prerogative. Do what you want to do. But I, like when I look at it, when I look at firing a head coach, which is a pretty big decision, like everyone talks about firing the head coach as if it's something that teams should do flippantly. Teams should be like, this wasn't good enough. Fire him. Start over. Start from scratch. And like, you know, that's just not how it works in the NFL. Like, like the, and the teams that do that again, like one of the things, and I'll talk about this a little bit more in the, in the final segment, but one of the things that drives me nuts is when people say, well, this team did this and this team did that. So why, and why do the saints operate differently? And it's like, when you, when you make that argument, look at the teams you're comparing the saints to and asking why the saints aren't more like this team. And if, if that team is the Panthers, Right. You know, like like if you're looking at a team like the Panthers and saying, oh, man, they seem to be so quick about making these decisions. And that's what I want to see. I mean, like the, the team's bad for a reason. Right. Like look at the Jaguars. Right. Like there's another team that fired a coach one like in the first year. It's like, yeah, this is a team that's perennially terrible and has been proven to make mistakes in that situation. Like whether it's hiring the wrong guy or whether it's firing a guy before he has a chance to actually do anything like that's not a positive trait. And so, like, you look at the Saints front office and they are loyal to people probably to a fault. But I think coaches prefer that, first of all. If you're a coach and you're in that situation, like, that's where you want to be. You want to be with a team that's not going to, you know, like like this, the Panthers, when they do these head coaching interviews, they're going to be like, you fired Frank Reich in week 10. Why would I sign on to come here to do this job if things don't go perfectly in year one, are you going to fire me 10 weeks into the season? Cause I'm not re- like, like I have a family, like I have a job now. I'm a, I'm leaving that job to come here to be a head coach. I, I have to have some commitment here. Like I need someone to understand that this is not a decision I'm making lightly. So I don't think you should be making these decisions lightly. So that's the first thing is, is I don't think that as a, as an organization that wants to be respected, you set the stage that, okay, we're just going to fire our head coach because of the emotion around it. 
uh, because it didn't go exactly as we had as we had planned for it to go. And and so so you start there and you look at okay, what actually happened this season, right? You started two and zero for the first time in a decade. You you hit a rough patch around the middle of the season. There's reports of some splintering, right? Uh, Jeff Duncan at NOLA.com has a, has a, co- a column out, report out, whatever you want to call it, today where he talks about some of the issues that had cropped up throughout the course of the season. The funniest one that I can confirm is that throughout the course of the year, more and more players started parking in the like public lot. And I only know this because that's where we park as media members. And I thought it was strange. And I think it is a, an interesting identification of like, you know, that's just a, it's just a little, a little sign of things not not a very not a particularly tight ship being run of like you can't even get them to park in the right place and it got worse as the season went on by the end of the year if you drove by the media parking lot there were just cars parked anywhere i personally like i personally had to park in handicap spots multiple times because even like the spots that you could create in like the areas that you you would be in and not blocking people were were taken those were already done it's like so i'm like i got to get in there where do i i can't they can't park on the side of the road I like I can't park all the way at the Nola Gold lot. Those are fenced off. So like my only option is to park in a handicap spot. I don't like doing that. That's weird. But it's like that was the only option I had. And and I do think that's a really it's funny because it's like, yeah, like you can't even get people to park in the right spot. (laughs) So something's weird going on. And I I think that that you look at that and you say, okay, there's issues. There's culture things. Uh, I want to talk about that more in the second segment. But are they fixable? Are they things that you can look at and negotiate and figure out and 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 find a way to move forward. And clearly it it, it is. Right? Cuz like you can look at it and say, well, you know, the, these wins at the end of the season don't mean anything. But that's that's pure confirmation bias. That's you deciding they weren't going to mean anything before the games are even played because I don't think you look at any coach in NFL history that goes into year 2, wins four of their final five games, the final two being blowouts, which 23-13 isn't a huge blowout, but it's still a double-digit win, right? So I consider that in that category of like, yeah, they scored a couple touchdowns. Like, it was a blowout. With blowout wins over your final two division opponents, including a 48-17 beatdown of a team that his head coach is, is coaching for his job. And then you're like, yeah, yeah, never mind. It, it sucked. It was, all, it was all bad. There's no redeeming qualities whatsoever. It's just not how a team is going to operate. And so when you're the Saints, you're looking at it that way. You're saying, this wasn't good enough. This wasn't what we needed it to be, but we feel like it's not a teardown because we're, we're so far down this path that in order for us to tear it down, it would mean that we don't believe there's any chance that you come back and you play like you did at the end of the year. And I don't think that's reasonable. I think that there is a, like, because look at the players you had on the field at the end of the year. You didn't have Alvin Kamara. You didn't have Marshawn Lattimore. You didn't have Michael Thomas. You had a bunch of young players who got better and they're the players you're encouraged by. Are you looking at that and saying, well, yeah, we were better off pulling the rug out from under all these players and starting from scratch, or are we better off seeing what happens in year three? And I think that when you go back and you look at a lot of head coaching tenures and you look at how teams operate, it's in most cases a three-year cycle. It's rare to find a head coach that didn't at least get into year three. So a lot of times you get fired in year three, but in most cases you'll get into year three. So in order for something to, in order for these 10 years to end early, it has to completely go off the rails. And, and you know, there might've been some, some like logs over the track or how, whatever analogy you want to use. This season didn't go off the rails. It could have, 
right? Like that, that's the thing. It's like the results matter, context matters. And that's why I've been saying the same thing all season. If you want to complain to me about something, you can complain to me about a lot of things, but you cannot tell me that I have been inconsistent. I've been telling you the same thing all season long is context, details, results matter. If you're going to look at this and say, it doesn't matter what happened. They went nine and eight. They probably should have been 10 and seven. That second half against the Packers is the difference between being 10 and seven and making the playoffs and nine and eight and missing the postseason. That's the difference between those two records. And so if you're looking at that and saying it doesn't matter, nothing that could have happened over the final month plus of the season is going to impact anything, you're kidding yourself. Like, and all I'm asking is to be realistic. You know, I'm I, like, I'll, I'll listen to you. I'll, I'll take your complaints and I'll, and I'll respond to you. But like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's realistic to think that a team that went seven and 10 under year one and a head coach changed quarterbacks, went nine and eight in year two and played really well down the stretch, beat division opponents, beat the teams that you're going to have to beat next year to make the playoffs because the easiest way to make the playoffs is by winning your division. And the NFC South isn't exactly looking like a division that's going to, that's going to take a huge leap. Like what indication do you have that this division is going to be any more difficult to win next year than it was this year? You don't have one. Right? Like the Bucks, like they they overachieved this year, but where are they getting better? The Panthers, I don't know. A lot of people think Bryce Young is a bust already. Does it get better? Maybe, but I don't know. You know, the the Falcons, who the hell knows? But you know, and, and just to get back to the three year cycles thing. So, you know, a lot of a lot of the, the the complaints I've heard is well, all of these teams are moving on from from their head coaches, and why not us? All these teams with winning coaches are moving on. And why not us? And so let's just go through some of them, right? So you have uh, Josh McDaniels is one of the rare examples of a coach that doesn't get to year three, right? And, you know, I think the the locker room kind of revolted on him. And, I mean, it's the way that this season could have gone for the Saints, right? Like, the, the, like, again, if these players didn't want their coach to be around, if they wanted a cycle change, they could have caused it. Like, again, that's my thing is, like, you, people are going to pretend that this team was not invested at all, yet somehow went out and won their final two games by a margin of 71 to 30. That's not what happens. They were able to get this team to lock back in when it seemed like things were going poorly, right? They challenged a few. You, you look at guys like Jawan Johnson and say, we need you to be better, and he delivers, right? Like you look at Derek Carr and say, hey, we need you to really finish strong here, and he delivers, and, and you feel like there's there's something to be said there. Chris Olave, you, you need him to lock in over the second half of the season, and he does, right? You know, the offensive line figures it out. You know, and, and so, like, that's I, – I, I don't know what to tell you other than that's how it works. Um, but, yeah, so Josh McDaniels was fired. It's a unique situation, I think, um, in the scope of, yeah, yeah this this – the, the first year was the Derek Carr debacle and all of the things that happened there. You brought in Jimmy Garoppolo and it was an unmitigated disaster and you move on. The Raiders have always had a kind of a short fuse on their coaching staff. And so I'm not modeling myself after the Raiders. The other one that did not make it through his second, you know, his second season was Frank Reich. Again, I'm not modeling my, my team after the Panthers, so I'm not looking at them. You look at some of these other coaches, Brandon Staley. You know, we talked about the three-year cycles thing. Brandon Staley, year three, right? He went nine and eight in year one, and everyone's like, eh. They went 10 and seven in year two. They made the playoffs. They lost in the wild card game. A lot of people said, you know, and they blew, the, and they blew that big lead to the, to the Jags. A lot of people said, fire him now, fire him now. But again, it's un- uncommon for teams to do that, right? Like you, it, it, they're not going to display that and say, you know what? We made the playoffs. You went 10 and seven. You improved year over year. 
but yeah, we're going to just shut it down. It wasn't until year three that, you know, the, the Chargers lose a bunch of games. They start five and nine. And then, wouldn't you know it, the team basically revolts. They get blown the hell out by, by a score that is unbelievable by the Raiders, a team that had scored zero points the previous week. And, and with an interim head coach, Antonio Pierce, who apparently they're, you know, I'm sure they're going to try to give a job. I wouldn't be surprised if he has a head coaching job somewhere. But again, that's how you get your coach fired is by playing like that. And the Saints had every opportunity to play like that. So Brandon Steele, again, three years, right? He got his chance and his overall record was 24 and 24. He was a 500 head coach. Now that's, that's the only kind of comparable example. And it's a guy who did get a third year. Now you look at some other guys and I, and I hear people talk about Pete Carroll, right? Like, oh, the Seahawks moved on from Pete Carroll. He's a winning head coach and nine and eight wasn't satisfying for them. And yeah, I think that's probably your best argument in terms of a nine and eight team moving on from its head coach, even though they were just on the fringe of the playoffs and they missed on a tiebreaker, you know, but, but I do think you're in a very different situation. I really do. You're talking about a 72 year old man right? It's not like he's in year two, not like he's in year three. This is a 72-year-old man who is in his 13th or 14th season as a head coach of the Seahawks. And I think to some extent, the next two guys I talk about are victims of their own success. And Pete Carroll is a victim of his own success where you look at the last three, four years and you say, well, that's not the standard you have set for us. And we feel a little more comfortable uh, making this decision because we know what it could be. We've seen it. You know, like he made the, the Seahawks made the play, the playoffs in five consecutive seasons. They won a Super Bowl from 2012 to 2016. You know, they didn't win any fewer than 10 games in any season from 2012 to 2016. They only won fewer than 10 games once from 2012 to 2020. Right. But in the last few seasons, things have gotten weird. You moved on from Russell Wilson. You know, you, you fell to seven and 10. It was the first time in Pete Carroll's career with, you know, you fell to seven and 10, you were last in your division, you know, and, and that's going to raise some red flags, right? Last year, you kind of bounced back. You brought in Geno Smith, he kind of resurrected himself and you signed him to a big deal. You know, you, you went, you went nine and eight, you made the playoffs this year. I think you were hoping to see them kind of take a step forward, continue taking a step forward. Instead, you kind of regressed a little bit. You did finish nine and eight, but it was not a pretty nine and eight. You finished third in your division in week 18. You pretty, you know, in a game that you really had to win to give yourself a chance at the playoffs. They, they barely eked it out against the Cardinals, right? They like a game. The Cardinals had no incentive to win. They missed on a makeable field goal by Matt, Matt Prater. So like, Again, you're talking about a team that probably did take a step back. And, and, and I think you look at it and you say, this is probably the best, best kind of corollary for why the Saints should have fired Dennis Allen, whereas the Seahawks did fire Pete Carroll or, you know, technically transition him to an advisory or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, I, I still think that's significantly different. You're talking about a guy in his 13th year and they have regressed from the peak that was set for them by this head coach. Right. And I think that's a theme is you've regressed. None of these t- guys who got fired saw their team get better year over year. So Pete Carroll is an example. The next one, Bill Belichick, you know, like, again, very different situation. Like, I'm not even going to put P- Bill Belichick and Dennis Allen in the same sentence, but I will put Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick in the same sentence. Bill Belichick is 71. I kind of feel like the only reason he's still coaching is to get the, the record, the record for wins. 
And I wouldn't be surprised if the Patriots feel that way too. And they're like, we're not here just to get you a cut coaching record, guy. We need to see this team figure it out. And since Tom Brady left, they have not done that. In, year, in, two, in 2020, the year Tom Brady left, they go 7-9. and nine, They're third in the AFC East, right? In 2021, they draft Mac Jones. It feels like, okay, this is kind of the start, the restart of the Patriots. And you go 10-7. and seven. And so that's where, to me, this three-year cycle, again, you look at a three-year cycle of a head coach that got fired, and you tell me what happened in that three-year cycle. And you go 10-7, and seven, your second-year division, you win the wild card, you lose to the Bills in the wild card game. But you feel like you've gotten something figured out. Well, what do you do the next year? You regress. You go eight and nine. You miss the playoffs. People are out there saying, we want Zappy. We want Bailey Zappy, right? Like, this is not going well. You're not playing as well as you need to. But you keep him around. You didn't fire him because you give him a chance to bounce back. Well, what happens this year? Four and 13. You're last in the AFC East. Everything has gotten worse. No one believes in Mac Jones anymore. Bailey Zappy doesn't look like a guy either. So, yeah, you were looking at a guy who has gone 12 and 22 in his last two seasons. Right? Like, that's not good enough. You know, and, and I think if you want to compare, like, again, you can say, well, this is a winning head coach and they fired him. This is a winning head coach whose team has regressed significantly from the peak that you set for them. And Bill Belichick's peak is as high as it can go, right? So, you you know, that regression, it hits hard. You know, and, and again, like, you probably feel differently about a 71-year-old guy than you do about a guy who's kind of just getting started in his head coaching career um, with your team. So, you know, I don't think that's comparable. Mike Vrabel is another interesting one. And they, you know, in, in the sense that they've coached roughly around the same number of total seasons. And people want to go back to Dennis Allen with the Raiders in 2012. And you can do that. But when you're talking about it in the context that I am, which is why didn't the Saints fire Dennis Allen? I don't think anything that happened with the Raiders is significant to that conversation in any way. So you look at it, but you, but you do look at Mike Frabel. And again, I'm going to go back to that three-year cycle that I've been talking about this whole time, right? Because Mike Frabel did have a very good start with the Titans. He didn't have a losing season in any of his first four years. He started 9-7. and seven. They missed the playoffs in 2018. 2019, 9-7. They're second in the division. They make it to the AFC Championship game, right? Like they, they, win, a, they win a playoff game. They, you know... <laughs> They win a couple playoff games. They get to the AFC Championship game. That's kind of the peak that you're looking at. The next year, 11-5, and five, they win the AFC South. They lose no wild card round. That's a disappointment. It's not a regression on the overall record, but it is a regression in terms of your playoff finish. So you can't be happy about that. In 2021, again, you take another step forward in record. You go 12-5. and five, You win your division. You know, you lose to the Bengals in the divisional round. And so you're feeling good about it, but like, okay, where are you going from here? Next year, and I think this is where you get into that three-year cycle where you're talking about we've, we've fired our head coach, right? You go from 12 and 5, first in your division. Next year, 7 and 10. You actually finish second in the AFC South, and I think the quality of the AFC South over the last two seasons has had a lot to do with, with, with their feelings around Mike Vrabel because you can look at the NFC South and say, well, the, the Saints are terrible because the division hasn't been good and they haven't been good in it. Well, neither has the AFC South. And so if you're talking about Mike Vrabel as this all-time great head coach, which that's a kind of the, the tenor that you're talking about him with. You know, 7-10, and 10, second in that very weak division, and, and you miss the playoffs. Year three of the cycle. Like, obviously, this is year six of his, of his as the head coach of the Titans, but year three of this cycle that could end with you getting fired, right? 
Do they take a step forward? Absolutely not. They take a step back. They go six and 11. The Tannehill thing era kind of feels over. I don't know how you feel about Will Levis in terms of long-term. I like him personally, but I don't know how the Titans feel about him. You Again, you've regressed. You are six and 11. You have gone 13 and 21 over your last two seasons and you get fired. Again, every single head coach this year has regressed from the peak that they have set over a multi-year stretch. And and I think that's when you look at it and you say, we're going to fire this guy. Dennis Allen went 7-10 and 10 in year one. He went 9-8 and eight in year two. The, the guy that I compare him to in terms of this situation, I know this has been long-winded, but I think the question you need to ask yourself is, should the Lions have fired Dan Campbell after year two? Should they have? Right? Not, not do you think Dan Campbell is a good coach? Not... Do you, do you, how do you feel about Dan Campbell right now? Do you like Dan Campbell? That's not my question. My question is, when you look at a team that started, that went 3-13-1 in the first year under a head coach, that included trading your cornerstone franchise quarterback in Matt Stafford to the Rams, and that guy immediately going to win a Super Bowl. As you go 3-13-1 over, under a first-year head coach, you don't fire him then, right? I mean, that's not that much different than what Frank Reich did this year. You didn't fire Dan Campbell. Right, Jared Goff did not look good in year one, but you stuck with him, and and you and, and that makes sense because you don't fire a head coach after year one, year two, you know. And this is where you're comparing Dennis Allen and Dan Campbell, right? Year two, you start one and six. The Lions started one and six at that point. Dan Campbell's record as the Lions head coach was four nineteen and one, four nineteen and one, right? So, so what did they do from that point? So they win eight of their final 11 games, right? They finish nine and eight. They miss the playoffs. No one is out there saying fire the head coach because the context matters. You saw how they finished the season, right? You saw, you know, you saw how things went on the field and the product on the field is what you're, what you're looking at it. And I think if you're the Saints, and, and I get it, you're going to sit there and say, how can you possibly compare Dennis Allen to Dan Campbell? Well, I mean, for one thing, Dan Campbell's record after year two was 12, 21, and one, right? Dennis Allen's record after year two is 16 and 18. Neither is good. But again, you look at it and you say, what did you do from year one to year two? Did you see improvement? Did you see things develop in a way that you can stomach and build on next year? Did you see a team play well down the stretch of the season? Did you see a team quit on the head coach? And I'm sorry, as much as you want to say the team quit on the head coach, 48-17 is not quitting on the head coach. We can talk about, we talked about the Jameis Winston situation so much last time. I don't need to talk about it again, but I think that you look at it and you say, hey, there were members of this roster who were on the ride, but certainly did not have their seatbelts fastened to make sure that they they stayed on it and had the best ride they could. And you're going to know exactly who those people are the second you go upside down and they fall out because that's what happens. I think Jameis was one of those guys. And it's not to say Jameis is a bad teammate or a bad member of the roster. I just, he was not a DA guy. He didn't get signed when DA was here. You kept him around because it cost you more to cut him than it did to keep him. He's not going to be here next year. Right. And I think you're going to look and you're going to say there were a number of players that we feel like we need to move on from. And that's going to be some of the stuff we talk about in the next segment. But like, I just think you got to be realistic. And, and I think 
the Lions were realistic about Dan Campbell and and where they were at, and they came and they played week one of the 2023 season like they finished week 18 of the 2022 season, and the results were there, right? And I think if you're the Saints, you're hoping for the same thing, and you can sit there and tell me, well, that's dumb. I don't think that's right, and and you certainly, that's your opinion, but I'm not going to, I'm just explaining to you why a team does what it does and how I feel about it, it honestly is irrelevant. I don't necessarily think that Dennis Allen is a good coach. I don't think that he should be the head coach of the Saints, but my opinion doesn't matter in this. And the fact is, it's the opinion of the coaches and the players and the front office that matters in the end. And I'm just telling you why they're doing what they're doing. And the fact that they have a basis in reality for doing what they're doing. So I'll end you with this. Keep doing what you're doing. All right. That's the end of that segment. We are going to come back. We're going to talk about some culture things. I have some notes on Trevor Penning. I asked Dennis Allen, James Hurst, and I think there's some interesting things that they said in there. So this is Inside Black and Gold. I am Jeff Nowak coming at you solo today. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. We'll be coming back talking about culture, talking about Trevor Penning, talking about all this good stuff. Stick around. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. back on Inside Black and Gold. I am Jeff Nowak. This is the offseason. We are here. We're not getting any mock drafts today. We're not getting into, into, into scouting. We're not talking about Michigan or Washington, although, you know, that game kind of let me down towards the end. I didn't start watching until halftime, and it only got worse after halftime. But anyway, I digress. We're talking about the Saints, and we're talking about, you know, we, we talked about Dennis Allen in that first segment. And, you know, there, again, there, there's a lot of stuff that they have to fix. And, and I think getting those fixes is part of the deal. And if you don't, then I don't think he makes it through year three. And again, and, again, and, and the funny thing is I look at it as, well, are you better off firing your head coach in year two and bringing a guy in midstream? Or should you th- instead allow a guy to have a pass-fail season? And if, they, and if they kind of build on what they've done, great. If they fall back to the earth, then... That's when you fire him, and suddenly you are in a position where you can make some adjustments. You can trade off some guys and, and get some picks, or you can, you know, have a high draft pick because you didn't play well enough to have a to have a low draft pick, right? And then you can go hire a coach with some with some you know coin in your pocket in terms of yeah, we got all these draft picks, we got all this ability to be flexible. Let's let's do it. But at the end of the day, for the Saints to get to that first part, which is to hit the ground running next year and and put on a display that makes you feel like this was the right choice. They have to fix the culture of the locker room. Um, that Again, we talked about the Jeff Duncan column. He used the word splintered. I think that's a good word for it because I don't think it broke, but I think there were definitely elements of like, 
you know, you know, this piece broke off here, this piece broke off here. And why did that happen? I think that's the biggest question is why did that happen? One definitely definite point of contention in that locker room this year came, but it was between the, the, the veterans and the expectations that the veterans had and the work that the veterans have become accustomed to putting in. Um, and, and, and again, what they expect versus young players and how they have been working at the NFL level. You know, we talked to Cam Jordan about this. He didn't name names, right? He didn't look at it and say, well, this guy didn't do well enough. This guy didn't work hard enough. But he did point to this kind of the modern element of when he came into the league, you had to watch tape together. You had to, we had to do your film study at the facility and the community building that that, that, that required I think was helpful, or at least he definitely feels it was helpful um, in terms of making sure that everyone understands the amount of work that it, that is required. And and now, and this isn't necessarily just a Saints thing. This is an NFL thing. With all the technology, a lot of that's done at home. A lot of times, you are sent home with a you know with a tablet and said you need to study this film at home. And what happens when that's not being done? Right? You know, we we everyone kind of joked about Kyler Murray a few years ago when the when the Cardinals extended him and they put in the clause of like film study work and, and it's like, well, why did they do that? Well, it's because of exactly what we're talking about right now. It's because that a lot of that work has to happen at home and you know, you, you got to trust the players to do that work. Um, and, and you know, it's tough because there's a certain point where it's like, yeah, these are people, you need them to be able to decompress. You need them to be able to go home and play video games or, or do whatever, watch movies. They need to be able to be human beings. But there has to be a balance of like, you can't go home and only play Xbox. And I think that's kind of the criticism of Kyler Murray is, you know, he's really good at Call of Duty because he spends a lot of time playing it. Uh, and I think the team is like, yeah, can you spend some of that time looking at your tablet? Because we can see how much time you spend looking at your tablet. I don't think that this, there's a nanny cam going on in terms of, okay, this guy did eight hours of film study when he was supposed to do eight and a half. Got to call him in here. We got to, we got to, we got to, uh, you know, ream out. But, you know, they're going to do an accounting at some point and they're going to say, dude, you only looked at your tablet. You only, you only did like three hours of film study on your tablet this week. You know, like you, you only did like, uh, you know, the last two weeks you did eight hours. You did this week, you did three. What happened? Because we need you to be prepared, you know, and those numbers don't, that's just an example. Don't take those for anything specific. But I think that's kind of some of the frustration with some of the veteran players who have an expectation versus some of the younger players who only know this and you know, whether that's on the defensive side, like Cam was talking about, like, I think that there, there was kind of a come to Jesus moment within the team where they established the expectations and what had to happen. But that's kind of like when you, when you get to more of a youth movement, that's when I think you see a kind of uh, difficulty in, in maintaining that locker room culture. And, you know, I, I think, one player that I look at and have serious questions about in terms of the commitment is Trevor Penning and and how much work he's actually doing to improve. You know, and 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 we're gonna get into all the coaches and the questions with the coaching um, in the next segment. But he, he, here's what here's what Dennis Allen said when I asked him about the plan for Trevor Penning specifically and the urgency behind that as you as you go into year three 
When it comes to Trevor, obviously first round pick can't get out of the field in year two. How much urgency is there in regards to that? I think, there's a, big, a I think there's a big urgency in terms of us uh, and in terms of him of needing to develop that player. Um, I think we need to develop that player. Um, we drafted him for a reason. I think he has talent. Um, and and that's a guy that, that we need to um, get the best we can out of him. Yeah, I mean, I, we'll, we'll see, you know. Um, but I do think that's a player that, that uh, you know, we need to develop. Yeah, and I think the tone of that answer is telling in terms of like, you know, the, 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 the coaching staff in the front office is aware that you can't bail on your first round pick. You can't just stop playing them. Like you, you can't just say, well, not good enough, <laughs> you know, because there's got to be a, a development plan. You can't be looking at it and saying, oh, yeah, yeah, Tommy Kramer, get in there. Trevor's active. He can't be your backup left tackle in a blowout win. That doesn't seem right. That seems like there's something more to it than that. And so you you have to ask, why did the Saints really bench Trevor Penning? Because I don't think it was for this guy can't get the job done. He's not talented enough. Right? So why did the Saints really bench Trevor Penning? And personally, I think it had to do with the preparation and, and how much work he was doing and how committed he was to his job. And, you know, like, and, and again, this is me. Don't take this as anything like that someone has said in terms of, of a smoking gun. But I did talk to James Hurst and I asked him about Trevor, what Trevor needs to do and kind of his role, James's role in helping to um, lead a young player to where he needs to be and, and develop. And again, this is not James telling you what I said. This is what James said. And I just want you to listen to what James said. And then make the decision for yourself if Trevor sounds like a player who is taking advantage of his opportunities to improve. Obviously, this yeah. is not an easy situation for that first-round pick. I think the expectation for him to be in there and to not get much playing time in the second half of the season. Yeah. What kind of advice would you give him going? Because you're a guy who obviously it took a while before you were yep. able to get to the starting job and yeah. develop. You know, so what would you say to him in terms of how he needs to approach this offseason um, for his own goals? Yeah, I, would, um, I think the most important step um, in that process, there's just an old phrase that's know thyself. Um, and I think he needs to take time to look at the film of the games he played, look at practice uh, from day one of training camp until um, you know the last game that he played and to see what he got better at um, but then ultimately to see the things he has to work on and see if there's consistencies there and um, if there are consistencies then man he's just got to go all in and, and fix those um, because glaring weaknesses in the NFL they are just completely taken advantage of um, and so I think he knows that and he's got a taste of you know uh, what it's like on Sundays and um, how defensive linemen in particular see the film, watch the film, and then choose how to attack you uh, the following week. So now that he's got a taste of that, I 
man, I think it really just comes back to um, a self-scout and and trying to shore up the things that um, he can be better at. And as a, as a veteran, is that something that you, know, you have a role in terms of just kind of helping a young player? Like how, how do you view your role in that? Yeah, I think um, as a veteran player, I've played in a lot of football and, and seen a lot of football, and I just want to be available, right? Um, and, you know, you have to let the player – obviously, I have to tell Trevor that. Anyone else would have to make that known to any younger player that I'm available, love to help any way that I can, um, be any asset. Um, but at the end of the day, you can, you know, lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. So uh, it's, it always comes down to the player taking the initiative. Um, and if he feels like, you know, talking to an older player is a benefit that he can reap, then then that's what he should do. Um, and if not, that's okay too. Um, but, it, but it always goes back to the player on taking that initiative. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. We've all heard that phrase before. I don't want to hear it about a young player who's who's needing to improve because to me that indicates he's not doing the work. Um, and so, like, I think, you know, we, we look at it and we say, this seems inexplicable. Why wouldn't you play Trevor Penning? Because he's not ready to play. That's why you don't play Trevor Penning. And... And that's, that's on a lot of people, but it's at the end of the day, it's got to be on Trevor. He's got to work hard. He's got to be better. And I think when you look at splintering, when you look at things not going the way you'd hoped, and you look at players maybe not being fully committed, that's something that has to change. And, and, and again, it's like you could tear it all down. You could start fresh with an entirely new support system and, and staff, but is that the answer or is the answer to make some cultural tweaks? And, and this is, I mean, I think the, the team has kind of effectively admit, admitted that, that things are going to be changing. We just don't know what. And I think, you know, Dennis Allen talked for 46 minutes and a lot of people said 46 minutes of bullshit, but I actually think in that interview, in that 46 minutes, you got some really interesting answers and you actually heard him kind of let the, let the, let the veil down a little bit on, on how things have gone. And, you know, like, like, do you move on from, from, you know, it, do you still revolve your offense around Alvin Kamara or is it time to, to have a youth movement at running back, right? Do you move on from a Marshawn Lattimore to open up an outside cornerback spot for Elante Taylor, which I think is the move you make. Do you, do you do that? Right. Like, like Cam Jordan, I think is a lifer. He's basically a coach on the field at this point. So you're not talking about moving on from him. Demario Davis is eternal. Tyron Matthew is eternal. Both guys still playing at an extremely high level. So you're not moving on from them, but you do have to make some decisions. I think Marcus May is a guy that I don't necessarily want to see back. You know, I, I think that whether, whether it makes sense contractually, I don't see how having him on the roster has benefited you when you could replace him with a young player. Um, or a veteran like Jonathan Abram. Like, what did you see out of Marcus May the last two years that you didn't get out of uh, Jonathan Abram in the last two weeks of the season? You know, and, and I also like Jordan Howden. He's going to be in year two. So, like, players like players like that, the veteran players who aren't necessarily, who you can't look at and say, this guy has lived up to the expectation. This guy has pulled his weight. And those are the changes that I think you need to make. Because, again... You look at it and you say, okay, there were fractures in the locker room. There were issues. But that's not the first time that's ever happened in the history of the NFL. I would say that it's more often than not that you have 
moments like that throughout the course of the season. Even good teams have moments like that throughout the course of the season where some stuff needs to be ironed out. These are humans. These are adults. And they're not and they're and they're young adults. Like they're, you know, we're talking 22, 25, 27-year-old guys. We're not talking like your your grandfather here. We're talking emotional humans who have other things going on. Like we talk, I talked to Derek McCoy about the fight with with Derek and while he wouldn't wasn't going to go into specifics, you know, he he admitted that one of the reasons that happened was cuz he was bringing stuff from home that, you know, were were stresses for him into the locker room and he shouldn't have done that and that's kind of what led to that, right? And so, like I don't think a lot of people think about it that way in terms of these are people who you you need to you need to massage everything individually. And that's what Dennis Allen when I criticize him and I say, I don't know if he is the guy, that's what I don't necessarily think he understands is how to handle people. And so can you make those cultural adjustments? Who do you bring in on the coaching staff, right? Like who do you, who, what changes do you make? What is not resonating from some of these people? And if you can do that, if you can, if you can locate that, then I think you can, then you can find a way. But, but I think that's, that's kind of my, my read on it is, you know, Mickey Loomis confirmed that he had a meeting with with the players, right? With just the players, and it's not something that he necessarily does. Actually, let's just listen to what Mickey Mickey said on on WWE this week. Yeah, I you know look, I did do that. Um, I don't do it very often, and it's really a message just for the players. And so I'm going to leave it at that. Um, you know, trying to set the tone uh, for what we expect going forward, and and I thought it was uh, well received. Yeah, and, and like Mickey said there, that's not something he does regularly. He did it this year because it, it was important to kind of set this tone. And I think the reason is because you do know there's a lot riding on next season. You do know that you need things to come in and be right. Otherwise, it'll be wrong real fast. Um, and and so like when you decide to stick with the head coach, it's because a vast majority of the team is still on board. And, and you saw that in the final four to you know in the final month plus of the season that there are there is a core group on this team that is not is playing well and is fully committed and that's who you're building around you can you can replace certain pieces you can replace whatever but if the idea is we feel like this core group can win then that's what you do and so you feel like you look at it and you say well, we have we have young players in Chris Olave and Rashid Shahid and A.T. Perry and Kendra Miller, you know, the latter of whom uh, I had a lot of serious questions about. And I know a lot of people did, but I think he showed in week 18 why you drafted him and what he can do. Uh, you know, Jawan Johnson's a young player, right? You know, you have an offensive line that played better throughout the course of the season and needs to be upgraded, but can be upgraded, right? You have you have the opportunity to do that. You know, you have you have a defense that is infusing some young players, right? And and hopefully can continue to build that defensive line. I think that's my biggest question is how can you how can you add pieces to that defensive line and how can you get more out of the players that you have? You know, I, like how do you how do you kind of and do you bring back Zach Bond? Do you adjust your Sam linebacker role to be that kind of permanent situational rusher that worked has has worked well each of the last two seasons? Those are the type of questions that you have to answer and it will know pretty quickly. Like it, it, it's not going to take long to identify whether a lot of these changes have, have resonated or worked, but they have to work. Right. And, and I know people are frustrated with, with Mickey. I know people are frustrated with the loyalty this front office seems to have to certain people, to certain players. 
And I get it. I understand it. But I don't think that the answer is change everything about your your identity just to make things work right now. You know, and, and, it, and it is funny. Like, I hear about how things don't work, but then, you know, Kai Harley and Jeff Ireland are getting interviewing or interviewing for GM jobs every year, right? So, so, so clearly something's resonating in terms of teams around the league seem to feel like the Saints are doing something right. But then all I hear about is all the Saints in the front office is the laughing stock. Uh, I don't, I don't know. That seems odd to me. It seems odd that they would be getting pieces poached off if, if the, if the approach is so bad. Um, so, so I don't know. I, I, I think that's that's interesting. But no, I mean, like again, like I, I get it. People are frustrated. They want things to be perfect right now, and I would love for things to be perfect right now. But I think that again. There are changes you have to make. There are adjustments you have to make, and you're gonna see if you can do that next year. And you're gonna and you're gonna learn a lot about exactly who the squeaky wheels have been, who may not have been fully on board, based on some of the moves you make. Right? Like like that's gonna be that's gonna be very telling of of who was who 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 you feel like was not pulling their weight, who was not doing the work, who who was not where they need to be particularly on the veteran side, based on who you bring back, if you make any trades, make any adjustments, right? Like like everyone wants to look at the C.J. Gardner-Johnson trade on its face and say, well, that wasn't a very equitable trade. You didn't get much back in that trade, but you made that trade because you had to, because there was just not a player that was willing to toe the line, you know, keep both hands on the rope and not be causing problems. Because I think when you when you look for a team that that does things the right way that's those are the type of pieces and we can pretend and we can pretend this is the first time this has ever happened in the NFL right where a team has had some splintering some issues crop up throughout the course of the year but like you know and that's one of the funny things to me is we have a frame of reference for this type of situation <laughs> right one of those you know, we talked about the 3 year coaching cycles last uh last segment um and one one three-year cycle that you know in a lot of instances probably would have cost a guy a job is uh you know 2014 to 2016 with Sean Payton and the team goes seven and nine three years in a row you know you know and 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 I know Jeff referenced this in his column but you know like that wasn't just the players you know Zach Streif sat down in in a room with Sean Payton and said you've got to get your shit together because what's going on out there is not good enough and we both know that. We were both here for the run of time when everything was going the way it was supposed to and we did things a certain way and we believed in certain things and now those things aren't happening. So how do we fix it? And how do we go about getting this right? And you you made some changes, you made some cultural tweaks. Think about this you traded Brandon Cooks, right? Like, like we can pretend that the thing we're, what we're seeing with Michael Thomas right now is is completely out of left field. But we saw a very similar thing happen with Brandon Cooks. And what did you do with Brandon Cooks? You traded him. You moved on from him because you felt like Michael Thomas was the piece that you wanted. And the offense worked the way you wanted it with him. And so you moved on from a first-round pick in lieu of a, of a second-round pick who had a very strong rookie season. And you, see, you saw the results of that over the – you know, you had a – franchise-altering draft in 2017, you you got the right pieces in, and you saw that run of success, right? 
I don't think you would get there if you pulled the trigger too early and not and not hold the course, right? Like, do you bring in a new coach after the third seven and nine season, and then what happens, right? Like, you you don't know. You're introducing variables, and you know I think that's where you're at now, right? You're you're looking at this a similar thing right now, and and if it and, and you're hoping that you can do it again. Uh, but I think like again, you're trying to figure out where this front office head is at, and that's where their head is at is we've been here before you have you have been in a very similar situation of the biggest difference obviously and you're going to say this and i'm going to say this is dennis allen and Derek carr over here versus sean payton and drew Brees over here and i get that i get that but you're being loyal to your guys and you're trusting that the cultural shifts can be made and you're going to see a lot more of what you saw week 17 and 18 compared to what you saw you know weeks 10 and 12 and with that i will end this segment we're going to come back we're going to talk about coaches we're going to talk about who maybe might be on the hot seat what the evaluation process is going to be and when it's going to start and when you can expect to start hearing some names crop out crop up as potential fires but that's it for this segment we will come back i'm jeff nowak this is inside black and gold if you haven't subscribed yet please do that otherwise stick around On Inside Black and Gold, I am Jeff Nowak. Steve Geller is not with us today, but he will be back. He has not gone forever. Um, but in the meantime, we're going to talk about coaches. Coaches and evaluations and, and whether that's being done the right way. And, you know, one thing that I know I know drives a, a, some people nuts is the length of time. The Saints seem to operate at a slower pace than not, all, not, the, not the entire league. I hear the entire league. That's not true. It's not the slower pace than the entire league, but a slower pace than I'd say a good number of teams who seem very, very antsy to move on from coaches and, and, and whatever. So the Saints, typically speaking, particularly in years like this, where, you know, you're going into week 18 with a chance to make the postseason. So you're focused on that. That is your focus, right? You know, like I, like I think... Some so fans will look at it and say, well, I quit on the season in week 14. So you should have been doing all of this at that point because the season was over. And like, sure, you, you can say that, but that's never going to be the case. So like, again, just be re- let's be realistic about what your expectations are for that. Um, now, the Saints, typically speaking, and this is what Dennis Allen said this week, and this is what, what, what has happened. The, the, the coaching staff was off this week. Mickey Loomis and Dennis Allen were going to be having a lot of conversations, you know, in, in the front office staff, right? Like, I think that's, you know, if you were firing a coach in terms of the head coach, you would have done it this week. Like, that's that's kind of where you're at, I think. I think if the Saints were moving on from Dennis Allen, that's something that would happen this week. And we've seen it, like the Patriots, for example. Like, they, they fired Bill Belichick yesterday. Like, they didn't do it the day, like 12 hours after the season ended, right? Uh uh, Pete Carroll, right? It took a few days. Like these are conversations you have, and you figure it out, and you go from there. And I think that's what would be happening this week if the Saints were firing the head coach. They're not. 
So this week is more about the head coach, the GM, front office staff, whatever, meeting and figuring out some the approach they want to take, what they're looking at, how they feel the season went, what what issues cropped up, like all that information, get it all on the table and and come up with a plan for the evaluations and 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 what they want to look the most closely at, stuff like that. Right? That's happening this week. Next week is when player evaluations, coach evaluations, all that stuff starts. And so you won't see firings until that process gets going. And and I, and I understand, like, you it's like, well, they should be doing that this week. They should be evaluating all season. I mean, they, you do evaluate throughout the season, but in terms of these end of year evaluations, it is a process they go through. And you can say, this is stupid. Why do they do it this way? None of the Panthers are already interviewing player coaches and, and whatnot, and, and this team and this team. I would say a few things. One, again, and, and one of the reasons I, 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 I tend to land on a different side from the aggressive social media takedowns of everything the saints ever do is because, and, and, and if you, and if you understand this about me, you will understand why a lot of my takes are what they are is that I am pro person. My takes are going to be grounded in. These are humans who have lives. These are adult human beings with families <laughs> and, and, and this is their livelihood. And I don't think that any kind of perceived competitive imbalance, which is debatable at the very best, uh, should 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 lead you to not treating people humanely and giving them a reasonable evaluation process before you fire them into the sun. Like, I think that's the least you can do. And that's not to say, you know, well, you, you have ideas about what you might be doing. And I think you probably order some of these things like in terms of like, okay, who, who do we look at first? It's probably the, the, the most, the biggest concern you have is the, the first step in that process, right? Your, the last step in that process will be a guy like Darren Rizzi who, you know, you're just lucky to have him. <laughs> like you're not, you're not like, this is not a question of, of whether you fire the guy or keep the guy, but it is like, you, you know, you're going to have conversations about what happened and what you can do better. Now, I, I don't have a problem with that personally. And, 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 and keep in mind, like you're talking about a situation where you can't, you couldn't interview a lot of the candidates that you, like, who are the candidates that you'd be looking at? You know, uh, you're, you're not looking at the, the Panthers staff and being like, well, everything went so well there that we desperately want to, to pick at the bones of that coaching staff. Right. So, and at the very, and you might, that, there might be members of that coaching staff that you look at and you say, this is a guy we want, but it doesn't merit. It, not not in the sense that it merits you rushing your process to to do that. And again, like people people keep saying, like, well, this front office is a laughing stock. Well, it's a laughing stock that hasn't had a season with fewer than seven wins since 2000, 2005. Every front office in the NFL, every single front office in the NFL would sign up for that. Every single one. That includes the Super Bowl. That includes two trips to the NFC Championship game. Now, you'd love for more. But, you know, there's a lot of teams with a lot less. You know, there's a lot of teams with a lot less wins. There's a lot of teams with a lot fewer winning seasons. And when your low watermark is seven wins, you got to be doing something right. I mean, that run would be going to college this year. That's how long that run is. It is a adult. It can go to CVS and buy cigarettes. That's how long that run has been going on for. 
So when you're when you're looking at it and saying, well, this is a joke, why do they do things this way? I mean, it's been pretty effective. And, and you can say, well, the, the Dennis Allen coaching search was stupid. Well, the funny thing is like, yeah, I, I don't think, I, I don't like the idea that they stuck with Dennis Allen either. Like I've been pretty vocal about that. Like I don't, I would have loved for them to go a completely different direction, but people at the time were complaining that the process took too long. It's not like they just, they, like they did interview folks. You know, everyone's like, well, I didn't hire Doug Peterson. I don't know. Cause apparently not that good. <laughs> um, and you know, finished with the same record as the Saints this year, uh, despite a what eight and three start. So, so I don't necessarily have an issue. And, and part of that's because, you know, the people available right now are from teams that didn't make playoffs. So, you know, it's not like these are, these are in demand, you know, like, like it, you, so you, so you look at, it, it's like, okay, well, what the majority of the names that you're probably putting on your short list are from teams that made the postseason, and you can't interview them yet anyway. So it's not like they're going to take a job this week. It's not like anyone's going to take a job this week. You know, and, and, and again, it's like, you can say like that, sure, you haven't fired anyone yet, but that doesn't stop you from planning ahead. If you, if you have the idea that you might fire someone and you can still drop a line and say to a guy and say, Hey, we're, we're looking at you for this. So, you know, whatever. And, and coaches have no incentive to, to rush their own decisions. Like coaches want the most demand possible. These guys are, you know, it's funny because you look at players and you say they're negotiating for money. You know, who else negotiates for money is the assistant coaches. And that negotiation is actually important. That negotiation is actually, you know, it's a big difference for a guy. If you can get 200 grand more a year at this job versus the other job when you're only making 500 grand, right? Like, like that's to me, like, I think people don't, don't recognize that. And, and so I don't necessarily have an issue with, the the length of time it takes to decide whether you're going to keep a coach, move on from him, restructure something, I don't. I genuinely don't. And again, it's partially because, I don't know, I kind of feel like these are people. And uh, I don't want to be, like, I'd like to at least be, you know, you know like people always talk about like success and failure and, and hiring a coach and firing a coach and whatever. There's, there's something to be said for coach for, for having a situation that a coach would want to be in, you know, like who wants to go coach for the Panthers? Right. <laughs> like that's the thing. Oh gosh. But anyway, that's, that's just a long rant on that. But, but again, you know, so you're going to look at it and you're going to say, well, the saints aren't interviewing this guy. They're not interviewing that guy. And, and they're already interviewing here. I mean, not everyone who gets interviewed for every job is someone the saints would have interviewed. And now if you're looking at head coaches and you're going to say, well, we want to get a head start on this, that's a much different process. And so, yeah, I think, again, you would have done that this week. But so let's go through the, the coaches, right? We already know Dennis Allen is safe. Even though, like, even he, he, Den, Mickey hasn't even said that specifically, but the way he's talking about it makes it pretty clear that, you know, they're talking about getting into the scouting process, right? So Dennis Allen is safe. We can start there. Joe Woods, I think, is, is safe. Like, I don't think Joe Woods has done anything but be very personable. I think the team likes him. Not worried about him. <clears throat> We're kind of starting on the on the defensive side because I think most members of the defensive side are safe. Michael Hodges is is probably one of the most underrated coaches on this staff. The only thing I worry about with a guy like Michael Hodges is does he get interviewed for a coordinator position or something like that? Because he's been that consistent as a linebackers coach. Uh, Marcus Robinson, secondary coach. And again, these are these are guys who are safe in terms of the Saints won't do anything with them. That doesn't mean they won't be they won't be considered 
for other jobs, right? Like you can get interviewed for promotion. So if any of these guys get a coordinator interview, then it doesn't matter that saints want to keep them. They can move on. Um, so, you know, and, and like, so Joe Woods, for example, he could technically go interview for a defensive coordinator opening. That is a play calling defensive coordinator opening because he is not a play calling defensive coordinator. And that's what he kind of ran into last year with Ryan Nielsen, where he was the co-defensive coordinator and a, promotion would have been the defensive coordinator so keep that in mind when I say these guys are safe that doesn't mean they're safe from getting poached just means they are safe in my opinion in terms of are you going to fire these people so start with that so Dennis Allen Joe Woods Michael Hodges Marcus Robinson guys like you know and I'm not going to name every assistant to the assistant but like Peter Junta not going anywhere Darren Rizzi you know I think he's is he's one of the most highly respected special teams coordinators in the league He's the assistant head coach for a reason. So I don't think he's going anywhere. I think you're happy to have him. Phil Galliano is, is another example of that. Ronald Curry is a guy who everyone loves. My only question with Ronald Curry, again, like we talk about, we're on to the offense now, is does he get an offensive coordinator job? And are you going to consider elevating him to your offensive coordinator based on what you decide with Pete Carmichael? And I really wish they would. And it's not that it, and I, I don't have the level of hatred for Pete Carmichael that a lot of people seem to, but man, I just want to see him get a chance and I want to see him get a chance with the Saints. I don't want to see him leave and go coach the Bucks. Right? I don't want to see him show up, you know, on Sean Payton's staff next year, right? Like I, I just wanna I want I I want Ronald Curry to get a chance with the Saints. So hopefully that's something you consider. But you know, if a guy like you bring in a guy like Gruden um, which that's a whole nother can of worms that I'm not going to get into until it's even on the table, really. That that kind of throws a wrench into that, but we'll, we'll see. Then the, the other, these are the guys that I that I like, you know, and, and I it's tough to say in terms of how their standing is within the coaching staff, but these are guys who were brought in as, as assistants under DA, right? Like they were brought in since DA took over. So in a sense, they were handpicked by him. And have some, and I feel like have support. Now you can question Michael, the Michael Thomas of it all, and how he feels about wide receivers coach Cody Burns. But I think you see the development of young players. You see a guy like At Perry really come on strong at the end of the season. You see Chris Olave take a step forward this year after you know some struggles, but he took a step forward. Rashid Shaheed took a step forward this year, right? Like you, you, you've got a lot of production out of the wide receiver position. And so I, I, I don't know. I feel like he's a young guy. I, I really like his approach. I think he's well-liked. I think he's, you know, he relates to the team a lot better than some of these older guys. And so I, I, I like him in that role. I, now, that's me. That's me personally. I, I don't know. That could, be, that could not be the, the resonating uh, tone in the locker room, but I'm going to go with that. Um, Jari Evans, you know, there's going to be a lot of questions about this offensive line staff. I want Jari Evans to stick around. Um, I don't know if he's ready to be in a, a full offensive line coach, but I do want him to stick around. So, so we'll see. Then guys like Kevin Petrie, DJ Williams, you know, these guys, these are guys that committed to this team last year in terms of, you know, Sean was poaching anyone he could get his hands on. And I know Kevin Petrie for, for sure had, a, had an offer to go coach in Denver and he decided to stick around. So I don't think you're, you're moving on from them. And these are kind of inconsequential, no offense to these guys, but it's kind of inconsequential in the, in the grand scheme of like, how do you improve the offensive line? It's not going to be by firing Kevin Petrie and DJ Williams who have nothing to do with that. Right. Uh, DJ Williams, I know is really well liked by Derek Carr. You know, they work together. He's an assistant quarterbacks coach or whatever. Uh, this is Doug Williams son. So um, I, I think he's safe. Those are the, those are the safe coaches. 
and I'll, I'll go through it one more time. Dennis Allen, Joe Woods, Michael Hodges, Marcus Robinson, Peter Junta, Darren Rizzi, Phil Galliano, Ronald Curry, Cody Burns, Jerry Evans, Kevin Petrie, DJ Williams. Now, guys I'm on the fence about, and and this is going to be a majority of the guy, and it's like, and I'm not saying fire this guy, fire this guy, fire this guy, but this is the list of coaches that I am going to have to make a decision on, and this evaluation process is going to be important. Some of these are first-year guys. Some of these are long-time guys. The first one, and I know people are going to give me some grief for this, but it's Pete Carmichael. And, you know, offensive coordinator has been here forever. You know, I do think that the offense's performance over the final month of the season, month plus of the season, you know, it definitely it definitely makes you consider bringing him back. Um, I still don't love the idea of another season of Pete Carmichael at offensive coordinator. I don't think he's creative enough. I don't, uh, particularly as an in-game play caller. Although, again, you know, we saw him, we saw the offense improve. We saw them it re- them make some really strong inroads. At the end of the season, you put up 48 points in, in week 18, something I wouldn't have told you was possible. Uh, if you go back to like week three, right? Back when they, you know, we had that run of like 20 points or less scored, you know? So, uh, you know, he, he gave him credit for that. Um, I do think he adjusts well. I think he's a solid coach. Like that's the thing about Pete Carmichael is I can I can have I can I have, I'm of two minds. One is that I think he is a good coach and he's a good facilitator and he's a good game planner. I don't think he is a good person to be the rock star leader of an offense, which is what you have to be when you have a defensive head coach. So when I say I'm on the fence about it, I'm not on the fence that I think you do need to make a change at offensive coordinator and in the very least, offensive coordinator and as it pertains to play calling. I wouldn't hate to keep Pete Carmichael around in some role. I really wouldn't. I, I think that he is an invaluable asset, and I think that's part of the reason you still have him, because he is a valuable asset. Now, what happens if you demote Pete Carmichael and you put someone else as offensive coordinator, and then suddenly he could potentially go – be Sean's offensive coordinator. That's a whole other question. But for me personally, I am not basing my decisions off of whether I want to hamstring Sean Payton. I moved on. My decisions cannot be based around that. So to me, that's that's the question. And I, I would love to see them make an adjustment, maybe do co-offensive coordinators, something. But I do want to see this team make some changes on offense. So he's my first one and he's my biggest one. Kevin Carberry. Now, the offensive line, it's tough. I don't know. You know, it's always tough to look at it and say, this guy did this, this guy did this, because they have different roles, right? Like, like Zach Streif was always, you know, when it was Zach Streif um, previously, you know, he would be the guy working with the young players and Doug Marone working with the older players. So I don't know how they've split that up with Kevin Carberry, but I am going to look at him independently of Doug Marone and say, what have you done? And again, and Jari Evans in the same way, but I know I'm not getting rid of Jari. And, and say, okay, how has this gone? How have the players received it? How, what is the perception of his job as a coach? And then, you know, I, I potentially move on from him. Clancy Barone, tight ends coach. I like Clancy. I think Clancy sticks around. I have him on this list just because I think you have to, when you see Jawan Johnson, you see your tight end uh, kind of disappear for the first half of the season. It's like, well, why was that? Was it all injury related or was there something else there? What Was the coaching good enough? I think he probably sticks around. I think Clancy Barone is a guy who you trust, you know, and and he's he's got a lot of pelts on the wall, right? Uh, and and so I, I think when you say on the fence, I'm leaning to the right side of the fence on this one. I think Clancy comes back. But I do think as a first-year head coach and 
in charge of a position that I think very much underachieved for a good chunk of this season. You have to look at it and 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 consider whether that went the way you hoped. Um, running backs coach Joel Thomas. Now, I know there's a lot of appreciation for Joel Thomas in this in this locker room, and he's been doing the job for a while. But I do think this is a season where you look at it and you say, is is he the culture bearer, the culture standard for our locker room, or is this just a holdover from the Sean Payton days? And if your goal is to get younger and start moving on from some of these veteran players, maybe the running backs coach is one you look at. Now, I know he's very popular with Alvin Kamara, but how is he popular with Kendra Miller? How has he worked with some of these younger guys, right? The run game coordinator, because the run game wasn't good enough this year. I think Alvin's still talented enough to get the job done, but the run game in a lot of ways was not good enough. So how do you how do you gauge the run game coordinator, which Joel Thomas is, as you're figuring that out? And so that's my question. I think you bring Joel Thomas back but I don't think it's a guarantee you bring Joel Thomas back. A couple more uh, on the fence. Todd Grantham. Again, I think this is another guy that you're you're leaning on the right side of it. But again, this is like, how did it go? Right? Because the pass rush wasn't what we needed it to be for a majority of the season. And then as you look at it, okay, Brian Young, pass rush specialist. Okay, so if the offensive, if the defensive line and the pass rush was not good enough for a majority of this season then you have to look at the coaching and say, was this good enough? Did this get the job done? So I think both of these guys probably do come back, but I look at that and say, these are serious questions that I need to answer, right? And this is the process. And again, this is the evaluation process. This is how you figure that out. This is why you do it. You're not making these kind of knee-jerk decisions. You're going through it and you're figuring it out. Um, now, those are the fo- coaches I'm on the fence about. And I just think there's only one coach on this staff that I think I would be stunned, stunned to see come back. And it's partially about the, the work itself. It's, it's partially about development. It's partially about whatever. It's partially about the fact that, you know, you're talking about a, uh, you know, 60 year old dude. Uh, it's Doug Murrow. You know, I, I just don't think to me, you look at, a second-year player who is a first-round pick that seems to be developing backwards. That seems to not be not something. Something's not resonating there with Trevor Penning, and and I think when Mickey Loomis talked about that this week, and so it, here's what he had to say: I would suspect that this will be a very important off-season for Trevor Penning. No? Yes? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's an important off-season for him and. Yeah, he, we've got to we've got to give him we've got to put him in the situation to be successful. You know, we've got to help him with his development, with his confidence. He's got the ability to be a, a, a really good player in our league. But we've got to enable that by giving putting him in the right environment, uh, giving him the right development. And uh, we'll do that. We will do that. Did you see players come in from some smaller schools who've maybe been, you know, had you know, not some- big fish in a small pond, but something like that. And they have some success early and then they have, you know, some time struggling and it, it is a confidence thing, right? I mean, you must've seen this before with players that have kind of been in that situation and kind of how to get out of it, how, how to develop them out of it. Yeah. It, well, it's a lot of things. And, and look, in Trevor's case, look, he did come from a smaller school. I wouldn't say it was a small school, it was a smaller school, but he, look, he had some success playing against, against better competition 
I, I think the biggest uh, issue for us was, man, he was hurt um, half of his first season. He didn't have a, a real off season this last year. And so he's behind in development, but it's not really his fault. It wasn't his fault that he got hurt. It wasn't his fault that this off season he was unable to, to do the things that you normally get to do going into your second year. And so we probably threw him out there a little too soon and, and uh, it was unfair. And so we've got to get that corrected. To me, that sounds like a pretty strong indictment on the coaching. And, you know, if you want to clean house entirely on the offensive line staff, maybe you do that, right? If that's Doug Marone and Kevin Carberry, because you feel like these things are intertwined and you can't separate them, you can't extricate that in any way, then sure, do that. But personally, I think you could just say, hey, we want to rebuild this staff a little bit in terms of the leader of it and maybe keep the pieces underneath them. Unless that guy says, hey, I want to bring in my own guys. But I think when you talk about there's an eject button and you've already got your finger hovering over it, Doug Marone is that guy. But yeah, so I mean, I think you, you do more than that. Don't get me wrong. I don't think that's the only change you make, but that's the one I can say confidently right now that I think is is, is a is as close to a sure thing as, as you're going to find in this, in this uh, situation. But all right, that's it. That's the end of this podcast. Thanks everyone who stuck around. We'll be doing a lot more of these kind of off season topics. I want to get into some early mock drafts. I want to get into some tier rankings of players in terms of, you know, core players, uh, young players who are starters, young players who are developing into starters, who's on the trade market. I also have kind of a, a broad based like off season plan for what I want to do in terms of how I would manage this roster going into next season with some of the information we know. So I want to get into that in one of these episodes. But until then, thank you, everyone who listens to Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. You can hit me up on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. You can follow the show on Twitter at Saints underscore pod. And you can check out the latest news notes and analysis on WWL.com. But until then, who that? Go Saints. It's the offseason, baby. Woo! Easy, y'all. Peace.